Well, hopefully you have in the last couple of days received an email from me talking about um, asking and uh, maybe a couple of different emails about asking. And so I hope that you pay attention to those. This is a, a program of study and prayer and reflection prioritizing that we're going to begin the year with in 2016. We're wanting people to start on January 1st. And so please look at that material. If you would like a hard copy of the asking material, it actually is going to be available in the, the uh, Connection Center afterward today. There are at least 20 copies or so there. So if you think, well, I really need that hard copy in hand, or if you didn't get an email from me and you want to know something about it, then please go to the Connection Center and pick up the piece on asking. What it is basically is just an opportunity for us to do some things together that take us into spiritual growth. And so... Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. Ask and it will be given to you. Seeking you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And that's our theme text as we begin this time of study and prayer and focus together. And I just pray that you will, uh, to, that you will be part of this and enter into uh, our study together. One or sorry, on each of the first 60 days of 2016, here's the plan, you're asked to do three things. Spend time in prayer, which is ask, again, right out of Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 8. Establish your spiritual priorities for the next 8 to 12 waking hours, which means that if you do this at night, you get ready for the next day. If you're doing it in the morning, then you're getting ready for that day. And where you just say, Lord, where do I need to set my sights today? What good thing can I do? And then number three, participate in Bible reading, either using the Bible readings provided in the asking guide, which if you look in the email that I sent to you, you'll find that asking guide. Participating with Kevin Clark and those others who will be reading the daily Bible, which many of you have already signed up for. I don't know how many people have signed up for this now, but I know it's at least 20 who've decided to read through the daily Bible along with Kevin, which is fantastic. Or you can follow your own intentional reading plan, and we just want it to be intentional so you can knock. So ask Pray, seek, which has to do with prioritizing, and then knock, having to do with Bible study. We're asking people to begin this on January 1st. We're actually going to center our life groups around this for the first two months of the year. So the material that I've sent to you, please look at. And again, if you need a hard copy of that, you're going to find that in the Connection Center. And that would be great. Okay? I also wanted to mention that uh, I had sent out an email Oh, a couple of weeks ago now, saying that there would be a special vision setting meeting on January 9th. And because of Lloyd Fike's memorial that is going to take place on January 9th, we're moving that to January 16th. So January 16th at 10 o'clock in the morning, or at uh, 8.30 in the morning, we're going to have a special vision setting session here at the church. I've already sent out an email about that as well, but please watch for that. 8.30 from 11.30 on January 16th, a special vision setting session here at the church. Okay? I just wanted to show these to you. You know, it's New Year's, right? And, or close to it. Yeah, some of you are shaking. No, I don't want it to come so quickly. It's almost New Year's, and it's also the last Sunday of the year. And there are twice a year when Kelly does a, well, the best humor that you have ever heard in your life happens here twice a year. Once on, on Stampede Sunday, the other time on the last Sunday of the year. And so we're going to enter into this time of uproarious laughter. Are you prepared? Okay. First, it happens with this. This is the first New Year's slide. 
Good boy, huh? Huh? Some of you are just exactly like that. Those of you who have dogs, that's exactly what you're thinking. Okay, and then there's this. And there are some of you who have this problem, okay? You're hoping that 2016 is the year that you grow taller. It may not happen, okay? And let me just flip through this, okay? And then, because, like, there are some of you I know that you spend weeks preparing for this Sunday when you'll have a chance to come and hear my jokes. And I understand that. And so, like, Hunter Pollock told me this morning that his parents make him come anyway. But he would come, even if he, even if he didn't, wasn't made to come to church, he would come today just to hear the outstanding humor that you all get to hear right now. And, and this is a privilege and a blessing for me. You know, a New Year's resolution is something that goes in one year and out the other. Huh? Huh? That was so, it was so good that most of it just went right over your heads, okay? And then the rest of my jokes are all antelope jokes. Are you ready? Antelope jokes. What does a lion call an antelope? Fast food. Huh? Fast food. Antelope are really fast. You know, they're the fastest animal in North America, okay? Antelope are fast food. What do you call an antelope with a carrot in each ear? Anything you want, because he can't hear you anyway. <laughs> huh? They get better. What did the grape say? What did the grape say when the antelope stood on it? <laughs> Nothing. It just uh, let out a little whine. <sighs> huh? Huh? They're they're getting good. Why did the antelope cross the road? You got. You have to be from Texas to get this. Okay. Why did the antelope cross the road? To prove to the possums and armadillos that it could be done. <laughs> you ever driven through Texas? Armadillos everywhere. Okay. What, what is more amazing than a talking antelope? A spelling bee. Huh? Huh? Is that good? Okay. And then lastly, in terms of these kind of short ones anyway, what did the antelope say to the blade of grass? Nice knowing you. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious. The devout cowboy lost his favorite Bible while he was mending fences out on the savannah. Three weeks later, an antelope walked up to him carrying the Bible in its mouth. The cowboy couldn't believe his eyes. He took the precious book out of the antelope's mouth, raised his eyes heavenward, and exclaimed, It's a miracle! Not really, said the talking antelope. Your name's written inside the cover. (laughs) And then finally, a man in a movie theater notices that what looks like an antelope sitting next to him. Are you an antelope, asked the man, surprised. Yes, said the antelope. What are you doing at the movies? The antelope antelope replied, well, I like the book. (laughs) Okay, that's all I've got. You'll, you'll have to come back on Stampede Sunday. Let me just let you know something this morning. Um, this is one of the last times that Robin and I and our family will be with mom on a Sunday. Um, we don't know what that looks like in the future, but it's very possible. This could even be the last one that we'll be together as a family. 
And so I'm really glad she's here today. This is a precious day for us. And I pray that you would just pray for our family, for God to be with us uh, over the next little while as we go through again a, a stage of transition. Okay? And uh, Mom's going to be going, as I said, to Milwaukee on January 2nd. And uh, Adam and Stephanie are going to take her there. And we just, uh, we just ask for your blessing and your prayers on that whole process. Would you please turn to the book of Micah? The book of Micah, which is on page 657 in your pew Bibles. I thought there should be at least something serious done today. So we're going to do something serious. We have been for weeks now, months really, going through God's story in people and looking at some of the wonderful people in Scripture and how the lives of those people instruct us and teach us. And today, I want to look specifically at the notion of the prophets and prophecy and what this is all about. And, and the fact is that as we approach the topic of prophets, it's kind of like looking at some other Old Testament characters. It's as if this is kind of remote from us, so remote that it's a little difficult to really get a, our, our minds wrapped around it. I mean, can there be anything relevant that some prophet who was writing maybe... 2,700 years ago? Can he say something of relevance to us today, especially if he's talking to Israel back then? It just looks as though this doesn't really work. You know, give us some Paul or give us some John. At least we can kind of get into that. That's only 2,000 years old. But this is 2,700 years old. How can we get into this? And one of the problems, I think, also, is that we tend to have some ignorance about who the prophets are, and maybe even misconstrue some things about the prophets. If I ask you who Jeremiah is, you might claim that he's a bullfrog. Okay? He's not. And so when I talk about ignorance with the prophets, some of this has to do simply with Bible reading and whether or not we ever read the prophets. I could say to you, let's read Micah, and some of you, I'm sure this happened. Some of you probably said, when I said, let's read Micah together, or turn in your Bibles to Micah, you went, whoa, I didn't know that was in there. I could have said, turn to Hezekiah, and you wouldn't have known that wasn't in there. We don't live in the biblical prophets. And in fact, because we don't live there, we may think that the biblical prophets are all about telling the future. And if they tell about the future, then the one thing we know is that they say something about the coming of the Messiah. So we're familiar with something like Isaiah 53 and the fact that the prophet talks specifically about the coming of Jesus. But when you read the prophets, you see something completely different than them just predicting the future. And so the preacher or the prophet will talk to his countrymen and say, don't enslave each other. Or he will say, stop sacrificing to idols. He might even say, stop sacrificing children. Quit cheating God with your sacrifices. Stop sleeping with the prostitutes. Stop marrying foreign women. Stop murdering each other. Stop stealing from each other. Because this is the way that the people of Israel so often treated each other. 
And so the prophets are saying a lot of different things than just predicting the future. And there are some things that we would call their major roles. So the prophets have roles like they consistently called God's people to holiness, warning them to repent, telling them how to behave. And we see this throughout the prophetic literature. Far more than them telling the future, they are oftentimes simply telling people how it is that God wants them to live when there's a problem. A second thing they do is that they reveal to Israel what God was doing in history. So it's not uncommon at all for them to say, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't do what God wants you to do. They encouraged Israel not to become discouraged, oftentimes giving them hope when Israel needed hope about their future. And then they often told Israel, as we saw, about God's designs for Messiah, something like Isaiah 53. So those are the roles that the prophets had, and there is actually some significance of this for us. But it's not obvious right at first. How can the prophets impact us? And I would say that the question is something like, what are we going to learn from the prophets today? Can we say anything about the prophets this morning that's beneficial? How can the prophets actually change us? Like it's nice to see that Jesus and his history is verified by the prophets and that Jesus is predicted seven, eight hundred years beforehand by the prophets. But what do we know is of benefit to us about the prophets besides simply the predicting of Jesus? What role do they have? And I would say it's something like this. This is what I would say that for us today is a role the prophets can play. The prophets help us better understand God, both who he is and what he's doing, leading us to ideas about how we might participate in what he's doing. And maybe you need to read that again. The prophets help us better understand God, both who he is and what he's doing, leading us to ideas about how we might best participate in what he's doing. And after you read that, then I want to ask you this question. Why is it that we don't read the prophets? Like, I, I won't ask for a show of hands this morning how many of you in the last week read something from from the prophets. Okay, some of you may have, but I'm guessing most of us didn't spend a whole lot of time in the prophets in the last week. If you read your Bible, you might have read something from the birth stories in Luke or the birth narrative in Matthew. But you probably didn't read the prophets. You could have read the prophets because they do talk about the birth of Jesus. But the prophets are just not where we tend to focus. And yet... If I asked you the question, do you care about knowing God better? What would be the answer? Do you care about knowing God better? Absolutely. If I ask you, do you want to know better what God is doing in our world? Absolutely. Do you want to better understand what God wants you to be doing? And we would say yes. Man, getting some great audience participation this morning. Those under six are getting this. (laughs) So God 
wants certain things from us. And what I want to say this morning is that if you want to learn these things, go to the prophets. Because the prophets are going to tell us what it is that God is doing. The prophets are going to talk to us about what God wants us to do. We can see in the prophets messages that are literally from God in which he's telling us, this is how I want you to live. This is what I want you to do. This is what I'm doing. Join me in this. And so we need to pay attention to the prophets. Again, the book of Micah. I want you to look at chapter 3. And the reason why is because we're going to look very quickly back at these things that God tends to do through the prophets. And I want us to go through each one of these and see how there's prophetic literature that does exactly what it seems God wanted to be done. So number one, they consistently called God's people to holiness, warning them to repent, telling them how to behave. And I want you to look at Micah chapter 3, verse 1. Look at this text. Then I said, listen, you leaders of Jacob, you rulers of the house of Israel, should you not know justice? You who hate good, just listen to this. You who hate good and love evil. And and who's he addressing as he says this again? The leaders, it says, of Jacob, the rulers of the house of Israel. You hate good and love evil. You tear the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. Who eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones in pieces. Who chop them up like meat for the pan, like flesh for the pot. And I don't know that this is literal. I'm not sure there was cannibalism going on. But the point is, is that God's people are treating each other horribly. Verse 4, then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not answer them. At that time, he will hide his face from them because of the evil they have done. This is what the Lord says. As for the prophets who lead my people astray, if one feeds them, they proclaim peace. If he does not, they prepare to wage war against him. Even the prophets are corrupt. He says, therefore, night will come over you without visions and darkness without divination. The sun will set for the prophets and the day will go dark for them. The seers will be ashamed and the diviners disgraced. They will all cover their faces because there is no answer from God. Why is God not responding? Because of the evil of the people and the prophets so often have the role of challenging God's people and saying, get your act together. And it's a problem when they don't. And so they consistently called God's people to holiness, warning them to repent, telling them how to behave. Look at number two. They revealed to Israel what God was doing in history. And I want you to look over at chapter four. Listen to the language here that comes, like this is, this is just like one of uh, Paul or Peter or somebody talking about the last days. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the mountains. It will be raised above the hills and peoples will stream to it. Many nations will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Can you imagine what would happen if this became true? 
Listen to the language of peace here that he says, the prophet says God wants to bring to the world. God's plan, his working out in history of Israel's future is a future filled, he says, with peace. Verse 4 says, Every man will sit under his own vine and under his own fig tree, and no one will make them afraid. For the Lord Almighty has spoken. All the nations may walk in the name of their gods. We will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. And the point is, is that if the nation walks there, then God is going to fulfill his future. He has a plan. He wants to carry it out. And all it takes is for God's people to do what God desires. Then I want you to look at chapter 4, verse 8. As for you, O watchtower of the flock, O stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to the daughter of Jerusalem. And he says that after talking about the destruction and about exile. And so, number three here says they encouraged Israel not to become discouraged, giving them hope. And this is what the prophets did. The prophets would, on the one hand, talk about destruction and sinfulness and all the things that Israel is doing wrong, and then immediately right next to it, there would be a passage of hope that lifts lifts the vision of the people and how God wants to fulfill something wonderful among them. Look at verse 9. Why do you now cry aloud? Have you no king? Has your counselor perished that pain seizes you like that of a woman in labor? Writhe in agony, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor, for now you must leave the city to camp in the open field. He's talking about the exile. You will go to Babylon. There you will be. And then surprisingly, he says, rescued. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. And so it looks like destruction is their lot. It looks like God is going to just punish them for their sin. But then hope ends up being the fulfillment of the prophecy. And then number four, they told Israel about God's designs for Messiah. Look at chapter five, verse one. Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. And it just, that all sounds negative. And then he says in verse two, but you, Bethlehem, Araphtha, Though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be a ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, Look at the very last line. And he will be their peace. Well, is there anything, is there anything in biblical literature more significant, especially at this time of year, than the fact that Jesus is bringing to the world this kind of peace? Like that's what we've been talking about for weeks now about how this baby is going to come into the world and bring to the world peace. We've been talking about how badly this peace is needed in our world. Is there anything that we need worse than peace right now? 
And the text says that that's exactly what Messiah will bring. He will bring peace into the world. And it's the prophet who tells us about God bringing this peace. So since September, we've been looking at God's people and God's story in these people. And it seems wonderful to me that we're going to end this series on God's people with the prophets. It all kind of fits together. There are no books in the Bible that so clearly give the full message of God redeeming his people and our world. And right when we begin to think, what is God doing? Where is he? We've got people dying around us everywhere. There'll be some bomb that'll go off someplace and somebody's going to die and there'll be a tragic event today. Where is God in the midst of all of that? And the prophet says, he's there. He's there all along. So I, I don't know what 2016 is going to bring. I'm hoping that for some of us, 2016 is going to be better than 2015. But I do know that God is behind what is happening in our world. And the prophets keep telling us that he's in control of this. And the prophets tell us that he has a future plan for us. The prophets tell us that he is not removed, but he is right there working with his people to bring about for them a hope-filled future. And so I'm hoping that you will approach 2016 with great hope. Because the prophets, if they were here, they would tell us about how we need to behave. And then they would fill us with hope about what God is working in our world. And 2016 can be a year of great hope. If nothing else, we just pay attention to the message of the prophets. Let's pray. Lord, we need you now like we've never needed you before. We need your presence. We need your hand on us. We need you to be working in our world. We need to be working your miracle in history, carrying things toward your end. We need this badly. Father, we pray that you'd help us to find strength and comfort in this ministry of the prophets. And most of all, Father, help us to find hope there. Help us to recognize that you're working something out and that we can be so much part of what it is you're doing. Help us to, as we begin 2016, to be focused, God, on how we can contribute to what it is that you're doing in our world. It's through Christ that we pray. Amen.